0: It seems that artificial intelligence is everywhere. Whether it's choosing what series would fit your current mood, which job candidate is best for your business, or whether or not you're a safe bet for a loan. But AI does not come without challenges. Algorithmic bias, poor representation of women and minorities. Tackling these issues will be key to its long-term success. Stay with us as we dive deeper into the building blocks of AI. AI.
1: You're listening to Her Voice, a podcast from The Choice, the media powered by ESCP Business School and dedicated to decision makers. My name is Lara. And I'm Emily. And we're from The Choice's editorial team. Her Voice is guided by one really important mission, to give the mic to women experts whose vision have transcended the competitive world of business, shaking things up for the better. Today, you'll be hearing the voice of Aurélie Jean, a research scientist and entrepreneur in computational sciences, specialized in algorithms and computer modeling. Aurélie works and lives between the USA and France, where she shares her time across consulting, research, and teaching. Considered one of the most influential French women by Forbes magazine in 2019, Aurélie Jean is the author of a book titled De l'autre côté de la machine, which translates to On the Other Side of the Machine. We also have
0: here with us entrepreneur Amelia Matar, expert in digital marketing and co-founder of Colorie, an educational method in the spirit of Montessori that allows young children to learn coding without a screen, using wooden toys, stickers, and tokens. Colorie's goal is to make technology an opportunity for all children. And today, they are present in more than 100
1: schools in France. So thank you, Aurélie and Amelia, for being with us today. First of all, we would like to ask each of you to tell us about the woman behind The Voice. If you had to pick, what is the moment in your career that has defined you?
2: Well, there are obviously many moments, but if I had to pick one, I would say in 2015, 14, 15, when I was at MIT, I was re- um, doing some research on traumatic brain injury, and I remember one one day, I received uh, an email from a soldier who came back from uh, from Afghanistan, and who wrote me to explain me to, to to tell me thank you actually for my research and tell me um, how much important it was to um, to find to find out about the uh, mechanisms of traumatic brain injury and how my research is helping people like him who are suffering from traumatic brain injury um, live better. So this is actually how I realize the impact of my work. And, you know, because you you might... I mean, you, you might forget, you know, the impact of your work, especially if you work in an office and in front of the computer. And in fact, you have an impact, a broad impact, yeah.
1: Wow.
3: Um, as to me... Um A couple of years ago, I worked for Greenpeace and was responsible for a big digital campaign to raise funds. And I had been really excited by this campaign. Uh, We did a fake trailer of Game of Thrones to raise awareness on global warming issue. And we targeted more than 30 countries and got 3 million views in total it was a huge success and um even the real game of thrones actors shared our campaign on social networks and to me uh, it was really once in a lifetime achievement
0: that's really cool do you know which game of thrones uh, character shared do you remember which one shared it
3: um, was it
0: Jon snow no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jon snow that's what we were no, all hoping for I d- I d- I of course we do the name. <laughs> But when we get to the core of what you're both doing today, so either teaching children how to code or developing AI-enabled technologies, Mm -hmm. the building blocks are the same. And we're talking about algorithms. Yep. Right? So when we hear the word algorithm, many of us spontaneously think of computer digital algorithms. But in fact, they've existed long before the first computer. Um, so, Orly, as our resident algorithm experts could you could you explain what exactly is an
2: algorithm thank you for for saying that um, algorithms are not computer algorithm you know um, originally, which is very important to to specify because usually people don 't know about that so an algorithm is literally um, a sequence of a operation, a logic to solve a problem or to answer a question. It can be mathematical, it can be non mathematical and in fact, as you mentioned, the algorithm is pretty old. The words is from the ninth century. But the concept, you know, of the logic uh, reasoning is from uh, Euclid, you know, so third um, century before era, um, um, yes, who actually used um, some reasoning to um, demonstrate theorems, for instance so yeah and and obviously, today we are mostly using uh, computer algorithm, which is which are algorithms that we implement you know code in a piece of code in a software for instance, that runs on a computer to run a simulation and 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 to provide us with an answer um to a question or or a problem
1: so as we mentioned earlier on, algorithms are the building blocks of artificial intelligence. And AI is becoming increasingly present in our daily lives, but it has sometimes shown itself to be problematic from racial discrimination Mm -hmm. in face recognition technology or recently, Amazon's recruiting tool um, that yeah. taught itself to favor male candidates oh, over to, female. To,
2: to, to eliminate women, actually. Right. Okay.
1: I wanted to talk to you about this um, this documentary I recently watched. That it's called Code Bias. I love it. You, you've seen it? Yeah, yeah no. of course. Um, in which the computer scientist and founder of the Algorithmic Justice League, uh, Joy Blomwini, um, yeah. explains that AI is based on data and that de- data is a reflection of our history. Basically, that our algorithms reflect all the inequalities uh, that have existed and that still exist within our society. And what it all comes down to is bias. To dive deeper into these biases, uh, Aurélie, can you explain why algorithmic biases occur and mm-hmm. what are the consequences of these biases on our daily
2: lives? Sure. So first of all, I recommend the, the documentary, mm-hmm. which is very cool. Enjoy. We know each other. She's an amazing woman. She's working so hard, you know, uh, to have an impact again on people and the world. So uh, and on scientists, obviously. So um, we all have cognitive biases. So we see things, you know, um, human beings, individuals, and general in a different ways, depending on our gender, our social background, languages, culture, religion, sexual orientation, et cetera, et cetera. Depending on that, we actually see, you know, um, we can develop um, biases, obviously. And we tend to uh, transfer those biases to algorithm to things we develop, sorry. It can be a book, an article, an object, you know, anything that you develop and including algorithms. So when we develop an algorithm, we can either develop explicitly the rules of the algorithm. So we can obviously don't think, you know, about um, some kind of people or we can forget about some scenarios, some situations, et cetera, et cetera. Or we can also train the algorithm over a set of data, which is what Joy is mentioning uh, Mm -hmm. in, in, in the documentary mainly. And in that case, we can, you know, collect data on specific scenarios, forgetting about other scenarios, forgetting about people and. And Joy explained it very well, actually, in the documentary, and she explained that we collect data uh, based on what we see, what we have around us in the environment, and we—it's based on statistics. Statistics are not always representative, and even so, when you get a sample that is representative, you know, um, statistically, even so, I mean, what's happened is that you tend to tr- to transform um, a statistical trend into a systematic call uh, condition, which is kind of dangerous sometimes, so it's yeah, so the biases occur because we have biases and we and and don't get me wrong, I mean we all have biases, you know I'm not better than anyone else here or, or, or in the world, but that being said, I know uh, my weaknesses, so I know how to work around that and to avoid those, and at least to hunt those you know while developing my algorithm and running those on situations so yeah so it's um it's something that I wouldn't say we We cannot avoid, you know, I wouldn't say that, but I say we can work very hard and in the best way, this is what Joy explained, Mm -hmm. to um, track those and to eliminate those as soon as possible. And we have also to be aware of how we use the technologies to make sure that, you know what, for instance, facial recognition, uh, it cannot be used uh, for any reason, you know. And this is the example that she she gives in the um, documentary
1: we all have biases um, and of course it can be problematic but in in your book you say that biases are scientists' best enemies. Yeah. Uh, So what do you mean by that and can we actually learn from our
2: biases? Yes, absolutely yes because I thought that I didn't have any biases Mm -hmm. until I actually developed a biased algorithm and I realized (laughs) that I had one like anyone else. So yes, so they are the best enemies because um, algorithm biases or biases uh, force us Um, to be better, to improve the way we work, we think, we develop, we conceive, we talk about work. And in fact, so it helps us on a daily basis to to do better, you know, and and which is very much important when you're a scientist, because things are moving fast very, um, you know, um, over time. So there are best enemies for that. And obviously, uh, again, we all have biases. and, And the fact that I know them, the fact that I developed a biased algorithm in the past, and I give you know two examples in the book and because of that you know i actually i know that that i can do it i know that i can uh, transfer those biases into the algorithm and develop discrimination what you call technology discrimination eventually so because i'm aware of that they are my best enemies because they improve my work yeah
1: what are some solutions to diminish the algorithmic yeah. biases? You In your book, you talk, you mention a sort of algorithm watchers or algorithm yeah. police. Can so you, it's tell actually us used, it? I no. mean, I'm
2: using those now very um, easily. So um, you actually track uh, how the algorithm is running over time, what, the, what is the output. So you do a bunch of unit testing or, or um, large-scale testing on the algorithm to check the output based on the input. Uh, based on the same input over time. And if the output changes dramatically, it means something. Sometimes you can also um, do what we call a mirror copy of the train algorithm, and you modify a little bit the training's data set to see how the algorithm behaves eventually, and you can actually capture some, um, you know, uh, lack of representativeness in the data set. So there are things as algorithm watchers, there are so, also many other solutions like working with different people, uh, being challenged by people who are not scientists. I mm-hmm. do that a lot. I mean, I work with, still now, with doctors, with people who are not, you know, in my field and they challenge me because they know um, they don't know algorithm better than me, of course, but they know better than me the logic behind the uh, phenomenon that I try to simulate with the algorithm so they can help me, challenge me, and and they see things that I don't see because I'm not in their shoes.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Since you work both in the U.S. and France mm-hmm. and you're dealing with uh, with algorithms and bias, do you see a difference between how it's being viewed in these two countries or how developers are kind of tackling this issue?
2: So I would say that in terms of governance, you know, how we develop tests, deploy and backtest those algorithms, I think we're in the same position, meaning that we're currently working on developing new methods and new governance. There is not really a governance today, you know, a model of governance. Uh, so we're working in the U.S. or in Europe. I would say Europe, not France. You know, Europe, we work Mm -hmm. on that. Mm -hmm. Now that being said in terms of awareness, in the U.S., um, I remember when I started to talk about uh, algorithm bias and technology discrimination, it was in 2017. November 2017, I remember. It was at Le Point, uh, a French Mm -hmm. magazine. I talked about that. And in fact, I, you know, it was not really common. You know, it was really a new word. What is technology discrimination? What is an algorithm bias? What is an algorithm, actually? In the U.S., it was, it, it came out like much like maybe two years before that, mm-hmm. I mean, Joy actually um, made did an amazing TED Talk, you know, in two thousand sixteen, mm-hmm. on that subject. So uh, I would say, uh, in terms of awareness, uh, you know, in the US, um, they've been working on that much, you know, uh, earlier, and they also developed like materials, like documentaries, uh, tests. Uh, lectures, you know, in university. I mean, I, I teach at the Sloan and MIT. We talk about that, you know. So I would say that awareness, but then in terms of development, uh, I would we are, you know, working on that right now.
1: Ada Lovelace created the first computer program. Liz Meitner contributed to the discovery of nuclear fission. Katherine Johnson confirmed the trajectory analysis that took the first American to travel into space. And yet, their names aren't as famous as Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison, or Bill Gates. Women have always been present in the fields of math and science, but their contributions have been overlooked over the centuries, and sometimes even voluntarily erased from history. According to a January 2020 report
0: from the Women's Forum, in Europe, Less than one graduate out of five in sciences is a woman. In the world, women represent only 24% of employees in the technology sector, and they make up only 22% of algorithm designers. Why do you
2: think that is? Um, I would say that, first of all, um, even though we tend to forget about that, but women were pioneers in computer science, mm-hmm. uh, and especially uh, during the Second World War. And and I know Amelia is talking a lot to the kids about that. It's a very um, interesting field financially, let's be honest. And I don't want women not to take advantage of that field and making money. Mm-hmm. I want them to make money. Uh, so I want them to, to embrace those careers to be independent and to, f- to also to have an impact. We talked about impact. And this is really a field where you, um, you can have an impact on the world and by building the next generation technologies.
0: Absolutely. It's also a question about the future of work and where there are yeah. going to be jobs down the line. And mm-hmm. we want women to be prepared and ready to take exactly. those positions on. Yes. Totally. And so, yeah, Amelia, I know this is something that is kind of in your consciousness and bringing to life color um, How... Getting to the the start of everything, how could young women be encouraged to pursue a career in STEM?
3: Thank you so much for for this question. This is so important. Um, I think that educating young children, boys and girls, to technology helps them help underrepresented minorities such as women or children coming from modest social uh, backgrounds to imagine themselves uh, working in tech. This is what uh, we are doing with Coloi. Absolutely.
0: And I... When we were talking about this, Mm -hmm. when we're young, we often want to be the same things. You want to be a doctor, Mm -hmm. a firefighter. It's these (laughs) jobs that are the most obvious in society. And you're not exposed. And it's a question of being exposed at a young age, which is what you're doing, um, that could create those opportunities, right? So this is a vision you're clearly bringing to life with Colory. Could you actually tell us a little bit more about Colory and the method that you're employing?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, after many years working in digital area, I co-founded uh, with uh, Perrine Legal to teach code and logic to young children uh, without any screen following uh, metho- Montessori pedagogy. Uh, we have created more than 50 activities with a strong emphasis on uh, pedagogic quality. And today we work with more 100 schools in 30 cities in France. And our goal is to be as inclusive as possible. And this is the reason why we develop our workshops in poor area, especially.
0: Wow, I didn't think it was possible to teach someone to code
3: without a screen.
0: <laughs> Could you explain more how you can teach someone to code without a
3: screen? We, our our pedagogy is based on game. The children play without any screen. For instance, they identify which algorithm uh, exists in their daily life. I don't know, for instance, when you brush your teeth, you have to define which instruction you will make one after the other. We, 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 we try to, to help them to identify what are the sequences of this algorithm? And they, they play your little game with these sequences, and they have to, to find the right the uh, algorithm.
0: Um, so I'm curious, does this stem, you know, the choice of not using screens, does that stem from a concern about exposing children to digital technology too early? I know, for example, that Facebook has received a lot of backlash about their plans to build an Instagram for children.
3: Yes. um, The fact is that children are already exposed to digital technology, probably too much and too early. (laughs) Um, I want to stress out that all digital content are not equivalent at all. Uh, For for example, you can... Find really educational, interesting apps, which are not the same that uh, watching a dumb cartoon for two hours straight. This is completely different. Uh, anyway, I'm convinced that we need to limit their exposure to screen as much as possible, especially for the younger. And uh, at Colory, as our mission is to help kids understanding digital technology and their key components with a screenless approach. Uh, and regarding Facebook and uh, Instagram for children, I think they deserve a little bit of backlash, because <laughs> uh, especially if you consider that their products uh, rely on the attention of economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, as parents and as educators, we need to carefully select which products uh, we put in our kids' hands. Um, do children need social media at this young age? Um, I don't think so. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah,
2: no. <laughs> I didn't even know that Facebook intended to <laughs> yeah. develop an Instagram for kids. It's, uh, it's The real I mean. question is, do you think that um, developers and scientists over there would provide their kids with a children mm-hmm. Instagram, you know, which is the real question you should ask. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. What Amelia is doing is very powerful because she actually, with Colori, they um, provide kids with power, power to understand how it works. Instead of just being a, a user, a simple mm-hmm. user, they will become power user of those technologies, which is a big deal because they can then... Challenge themselves while using those technologies, or watching even TV, or, or or using an application on on their parent's iPad or whatever, you know. So I think it's it's very powerful. It's 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 much more than um, just um, exposing kids to coding, algorithm science, computer science in general.
0: One of the ways to fight bias in artificial intelligence is to ensure representation at the coding and the creation phase of these mm-hmm. technologies. Um, Amelia, in your experience,
3: do you find that young girls approach computer science differently? Um, So much to tell. (laughs) (laughs) There is no much difference between uh, children at a very young age, three or four. Uh, Their interests are the same. But uh, we see that the difference rapidly increases when they grow up. Um, Several studies show that teachers don't interact the same way with boys and girls. Mm the first thing we need to do is to make them realize they have bears yeah. <laughs> so that they can get rid of it. Um, at the age of six, young girls already think that they are less intelligent boys. than boys. Yes. Yes. Oh gosh. Uh, very early, they also consider that certain Disciplines like math or computer mm-hmm. sciences are not for them. This is terrible. So introducing these disciplines at a young age makes them like it and grow their self-confidence uh, with these disciplines. So with Colony, we plant seeds, with, uh, mm-hmm. which we hope will grow in girls' brain. Uh, this is our hope. Um, we also need, the, I think, a <laughs> role model like Oli <laughs> to inspire young girls.
0: That's great. Well, hopefully we'll see the the young girls and boys that are in your program in a few years, you know, can how you they're imagine, developing. Uh, can you mm-hmm. imagine,
2: like, in 20 years, we'll see a, a, a woman coming to you and say, hey, you know what, I'm a computer scientist. Why? Yeah. <laughs> and you know what, I work at the NASA. And also, you know, mm-hmm. it, can you imagine, like, it would be like, wow, your yes. achievement yes. is huge. Like,
0: Maybe like, that will be the new defining moment in your career. Yes, exactly Yes. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> but I just want to ask, uh, Arlie, because I saw your face when she mentioned girls being treated differently in classes. Yeah. Did you Constantly. ever experience being treated differently? by your professors or uh, teachers?
2: Well, um, a little bit, but not really when I was a kid. And I think it's really when you're a kid that, um, that has an impact, you know, because for later, I mean, you really, you can be aware of that. So, you, you know, you can be critical to it. Um, I don't remember, to be honest, because, you know, when you're, you're a kid, you're not really aware of things around you, you know, you're very, um you, 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 the degrees of freedom that you have are not as high uh, compared to now. I'm really, you know, I see everything, I hear everything, I'm very aware, so... I don't remember when I was a kid, and, and in my case, it's very different because I was raised at home by, you know, my grandparents who were very feminist, and and I played rugby and I did ballet, <laughs> so you know, it's very so I did everything, so um so I don't know, I mean later maybe, but it's more in general. But I I, I know I know those what you say, and I and I know it's true, so I'm mm-hmm. very sad. Obviously, I see it, for instance, with people around me now who has who have kids, you know, and I, for instance, I I, I gave to um, a daughter of a friend of mine. Uh, for a four-year-old, you know, I anniversary. So I gave her, um, um, it was, I don't remember, it was a, a, a fire um, truck, you know, like a, a fire, yeah. And, uh, and the, the mother looked at me first and she was like, hmm. But then she said, oh, no, that's cool. And I say, of course it's cool to have a fire truck when you're a four-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. And so we still have bias, as Amelia mm-hmm. says. We need to fight against those, you know, to make sure that we give the same opportunities to girls and, and boys. And again, it's awareness, Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, the adults around the kids are the ones who have the biases, the parents, the teachers. It's not the kids, the grandparents, the grandparents. Grandparents. Yeah, yeah, it's different generations. So, so Amelia, if you could fast
0: forward a little bit, let's say we're next in 10 years from now, what would you want education in computer science to look like?
3: If you take um, a step back, generally speaking, I would love for boys and girls to be educated the same way we we Mm. just talked about it. Um, There is still much to do. Uh, I would love that boys, for instance, could decide to work in care jobs without any social pressure. And uh, I would uh, love that uh, having women at executive level in companies tech or not, becomes so normal that no one talks about it anymore. (laughs) It would be so cool. And my biggest hope is that education in computer science and in other disciplines as well really takes into account the last breakthrough in neuroscience to make education more exciting for children. Because the more appealing education is, the better children will learn, boys Mm. and girls.
0: Okay, so if we ask, Orly, it's got a slightly different question for you. We're asking Mm -hmm. you to to look back in time, Mm -hmm. but still on this idea of, you know, encouraging women and girls in STEM. Uh, You were were a previous STEM student, Mm -hmm. and you currently teach in this field, in the Mm -hmm. field of algorithm science. Mm -hmm. What is one piece of advice you wish you'd been given when you were getting started?
2: Uh, Being surrounded. Uh, Because, you know, I discovered um, the idea, the concept of networking being supported by others when i came to the us um, when i went there in 2009 at penn state and my research advisor became a very good friend of mine jordan gunmeyer um, he actually told me literally after two weeks he said, you're an amazing person because after two weeks i already had results to publish so it was like really wow so he said you're great you're brilliant but you know what you're alone and you have to learn how to make network. You have to learn how to be supported by others, and I'm going to teach you how to do that. And and you know what? It's very important because now maybe um, in your generation it's more common. It's as you know, you know about that. But in my generation, maybe yours, Amelia, mm-hmm. nobody told us. You know, I'm from middle class. You are from middle class as well. Nobody told us that you have to develop a network. And I thought that because I was raised like that, like I had to work hard and only hard. And if I do so, you know what? I will succeed. Well, it's a little bit more difficult than that. And being supported, um, having a network is very much important because then you can help each other and you can grow faster. Uh, you can do bigger things, you know, have a bigger impact. So I would tell this, I mean, I would have loved someone to tell me much earlier, you know what, you have to um, to build um, a network. And I like to say you have to build like a uh, a tribe. You know, I like this mm-hmm. word. So I have my uh, tribe. Yeah.
0: And that's true not only for, you know, your career but you're both women founders. Of course, yeah. yeah. I mean,
2: I yeah. imagine that's really very important. much important mm-hmm. to support each other and we know mm-hmm. we call each other um for Professional perspective and also personal matters because when you're, um, you know, uh, it's it's hard to distinguish and separate professional life and personal life. You know, I think it's it's all together, especially for us because we love what we do, so we don't have the feeling of working. Um, So that you know, that being said, we need to also we talk a lot about personal things. I mean, I call you a lot, so (laughs) yeah. yeah. My pleasure.
1: To conclude this episode, could you each share with us one piece of advice on finding your voice?
2: Find your allies. Okay. Um, Allies among women, among men as well. Uh, My best allies were men for me. Mm -hmm. And without them, I wouldn't be here. Without them, I wouldn't do what I did just because, oh my gosh, they were there for me to support me, to help me, to advise me, to mentor me. Um, to give me the best advice. I'm not joking. And and so um, having a lice around you is very much important and you can find your voice that way um, and to know how to to have an impact. So really, um, you, in other words, you to me, I think, to find your voice, you have to be surrounded. You cannot find your voice by
3: yourself alone. Um, to me, it sounds narrow, yeah. I think one important thing is to uh, deeply understand that no matter you are a boy or a girl, um, everything is possible, the future is yours. There is no limit.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And when we have people like you both as role models and making those opportunities possible for young kids, it gives much more hope into into what's going to happen in the tech industry and in society as a whole. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope that you enjoyed learning more about algorithms, their biases, and how to avoid them with Orly Jean and Amelia Meta. Maybe your favorite podcast app's
1: own algorithm brought you here today. And in that case, we're happy you listened till the end of this episode. And if you think more people should know about her voice, giving us five stars or clicking the subscribe button would surely help us reach a wider audience. You get it, it's all about the algorithms.